Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Haggai. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. Today, we pick back up in our six-week journey through the book of Haggai. And if you've been with us for this series, by now you're an expert on this book, and you know the context of Haggai very well. But in case you haven't been here or have forgotten, let me just very briefly set the scene for you as to what's going on here. In 586 BC, the kingdom of Babylon burned Jerusalem to the ground and carried many thousands of Jews away captive back to Babylon. In 538 BC, Babylon was itself conquered by the kingdom of Persia and its leader, Cyrus the Great. And as one of Cyrus's first acts, he issued an edict allowing the Jews to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple of God. So it was the governor of the Jews, a man named Zerubbabel, along with the high priest Joshua, returned to Jerusalem with 40,000 Israelites to resettle the city and to rebuild the temple. In pretty short order, the Jews laid the foundation for the new temple and they set up the altar. But then they began getting some opposition from their neighbors. Rather than trust God and work through that opposition, the Israelites basically just gave up. And the work on the temple came to a grinding halt. In fact, the foundation of the temple sat unfinished for 16 years. This is when God raised up the prophet Haggai to challenge the people to renew the vision, to obey God, and to get back to work and to finish the temple that they had started so long ago. And so the people did exactly that. They heeded the words of Haggai and they got back to work. Now, last week, Pastor Aragon preached to us from chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, on how as the people started rebuilding the temple, they fell into the trap of comparing the new temple and its relative modesty to the splendor of the previous temple, Solomon's temple, which was absolutely magnificent. As we know, that temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians. In fact, verse 3 says the new temple was seen as nothing in their eyes when compared to the memory of the old temple. And that made them sad to some extent, if you remember from last week's passage. Well, what was God's response to this? If you recall from last week, God encouraged the people through Haggai that if they would be faithful to build the temple, that he would be faithful to fill that temple with his glory. A prophecy that was fulfilled not only in their day, but also 500 years later when Jesus Christ himself God and human flesh taught and ministered inside the walls of that very temple. Isn't that amazing? Where we pick up reading today, approximately two months have passed since that last word from the Lord. The people are working diligently on the temple, and now God has yet another message for them through the prophet Haggai. This morning, we're going to read the first half of this message, and then we'll look at the second half next Sunday. As we prepare to read our text, the primary theme of today's message, the key concept of this passage, is the concept of transfer. Collins Dictionary defines the word transfer as follows, to convey, carry, remove, or send 
from one person, place, or position to another. So let's just think about some examples of transfer very quickly. I'll start with a personal example. After my freshman year at College of the Ozarks, I decided to move to a different educational institution. I transferred to SBU. Why did I do that? Well, there was a girl going to SBU that I liked a lot. And some said, you can't transfer colleges for a girl. But it worked out pretty well. Her name was Rachel, and it's, it stuck, and I'd do it again. How about this? How many have washed a brand new item of clothing that happens to be red with your whites? What happens? The red transfers onto the whites, and you have pink socks and pink underwear. And I've done that a time or two, and you probably have as well. How many of you remember as a child taking a leaf and putting a paper over it and using a crayon to color over the leaf? And what happens? The image of the leaf transfers onto the paper. How many times have you used the expression, well, I guess so-and-so rubbed off on me? What we mean by that is that person influenced us in some way, and that too is a form of transfer. In this morning's text, God talks to the Israelites about this concept of transfer. And not so much physical transfer as in the examples that I just used, but rather spiritual transfer. In fact, there are three truths in these verses that I want us to see this morning related to the concept of spiritual transfer. So let's jump right into the text. We're going to begin by reading verses 10 through 12. It says, On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priests concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food, will it become holy? Then the priests answered and said, No, and we'll stop there. Here's the first truth I want us to learn this morning. Truth number one, holiness does not transfer. Holiness does not transfer. In verse 11, the Lord makes a request of Haggai. He says, go to the priest and ask him a question. And again, we find that question in verse 12. It has to do with carrying holy meat in the, food, in the fold of their garment. You can read that there, verse 12, for yourself. But let me explain what this question means that he asked there. After the priest sacrificed a bull or a ram upon the altar, depending on the kind of sacrifice it was, either the one who presented the animal or the priest who sacrificed it or both would eat a portion of the meat from that animal. This meat, because it was consecrated to God as a sacrifice, was considered to be holy. In transferring this holy meat from the altar to the place that it would be eaten, the priest would hold out his garment. He would hold out his robe. I imagine it in my mind like you or I might hold out the front of our apron. And he would lay the cooked meat in the fold of that garment, and he would carry it to the dinner table, in essence. All right? Do you have that picture in your mind? Okay. Now, some of you are not going to like this next part because you're the kind of person that doesn't like your food touching other food on the plate. But Haggai presents a scenario to the priests. And here's the scenario. He says, let's pretend as you're carrying that meat in the fold of your robe, in the fold of your garment, 
that it accidentally brushes up against some other food. Maybe it accidentally touches the bread or uh, the stew or the wine or the oil or anything else on the table. Does that meat then transfer its holiness onto that other food? And the priest's answer is what? No. There was nothing written in the law that ever suggested anything about the holiness or sacredness of sacrifice meat transferring onto other foods. So there's no holy mashed potatoes, no holy green beans, no holy banana pudding with vanilla wafers, nothing of the sort. It didn't work that way. And again, the spiritual truth that we see here is that holiness doesn't transfer. Now, let me just pause for a moment and say this. There is one gigantic exception to this rule. When we turn from our sin and put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that Jesus' righteousness is imputed or transferred to us. Sproul said at the cross, a wonderful transaction took place. We gave Jesus our sin and he gave us his righteousness. So the only time that holiness or righteousness is transferred from one person to another is when Jesus transfers his righteousness to us at the moment of our salvation. It's important that we acknowledge that. But aside from that notable exception, the principle remains holiness does not transfer. You say, Josh, what what does that even mean? What do you mean by that? Let me give you an example. Here's one example. Just like holiness did not transfer from the sacrificed meat onto other foods, Holiness does not transfer from one person onto another. Did you know that some people think that just because their parents or their grandparents are committed Christians, that somehow their holiness will transfer onto them? That just because they've been raised in a Christian home, that God will grant them eternal life on that basis? I hope that no one here believes that. Holiness doesn't transfer from person to person, whether you're a blood relative or not. One day, each person in this room will stand on your own two feet before a holy God. And on that day, it won't matter who you're related to. You can say, God, but my dad was the pastor, or my dad was a deacon in the church, or a Sunday school teacher. My mom was a godly lady. It won't matter. You have to stand on your own two feet before the Lord. The only thing that will matter is whether or not you have the holiness and righteousness of Christ covering your sin. And we don't get that holiness from mom and dad. We don't get that holiness from grandma and grandpa. We only get that holiness by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Other people hope that the holiness of God's church will somehow transfer onto them. That if they attend services and give to the church and and serve in the church and join the church, that that will be counted to them for righteousness. My friends, it does not work that way. You can be the most outwardly committed person to the church in this room. But if you have not put your faith in Jesus, God will say to you, depart from me. I never knew you. Holiness does not transfer through meat. It does not transfer through mom. It does not transfer through membership in the church or any other earthly way. Holiness only comes through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have the holiness of Jesus? That's the question. Because you're not going to get it from any other source. Holiness does not transfer. All right, now that we've established that, 
Haggai presents the priests with a second scenario. So let's read that and let's see what he says next. And we find that in verse 13. Haggai said, If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Here's the truth, truth number two that we see in this verse. Sin does transfer, and it corrupts. In order to illustrate this, Haggai uses an illustration or a concept from the Old Testament law. Under the law, if anyone touched a dead body, they were considered unclean for seven days. They were to quarantine themselves during that time, performing two washings, one on the third day and one on the seventh day. Then and only then could they be restored to the tabernacle and to the community. In contrast, if a person who had touched a corpse did touch someone else or something else, now that person or that object was also considered to be unclean. And if they went in the tabernacle in that state, the tabernacle itself was considered to be defiled. Haggai's point in using this illustration is that while holiness does not transfer, uncleanness, which is a picture of sin, most certainly does. Uncleanness or sin permeates and impacts everything that it touches. This is why you often hear me say, there is no such thing as a sin that only affects the person who's committing it. That is not the nature of sin. Sin by its nature spreads. It spreads like cancer. Sin always hurts other people, always. And usually the ones whom we love the most. Sin always brings sadness. I believe that's one reason why God established this law in the Old Testament. He wanted the people to see and understand in a very real and practical way that uncleanness or sin does transfer and it corrupts whatever it touches. Another illustration that's often used to make the same point that Haggai makes here is that of two glasses of water, one clean and one dirty. If you add one drop of clean or pure water to a glass of dirty water, what do you have? you still have a glass of dirty water. That's the principle that holiness doesn't transfer. On the other hand, if you add just one drop of dirty water to what was a clean and pure glass of water, what do you have? You now have another glass of dirty water. That's because uncleanness, sin, does transfer and it corrupts. This same principle applies not only to glasses of water, it applies to people. 1 Corinthians 15 says, evil company corrupts good habits. We sometimes paraphrase that as bad company corrupts good morals. But either way, the point is the same. When righteous people hang out with unrighteous people, as a rule, guess which one's going to influence the other? We know that, don't we, from our own lives. In most cases, the bad is going to corrupt the good. That's because holiness doesn't transfer. That's something only Jesus can do. But uncleanness or sin does transfer. And when it does, it corrupts. Of course, the most notorious example of sin transferring is the sin nature that was transferred to us from our first parents, Adam and Eve. 
And we know that because of this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that all men and women and all boys and girls are in need of a Savior because of our sin that we inherited, that was transferred to us. That Savior's name is Jesus Christ. All right, so we've got these two spiritual truths that are on the screen that that Haggai's communicated now to the Israelites. Holiness doesn't transfer, but sin does, and it corrupts. It makes everything unclean. But what we still haven't addressed is the question, why is Haggai telling them this? What does any of this have to do with their situation? And we find the answer to that question in our last verse, verse 14. Let's read that. Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Truth number three is this. Even the good works we do are unclean if not done from a heart that is fully surrendered to God. Haggai says to the priests in verse 14, you know how you just said that uncleanness transfers, that it spreads? Well, guess what? Up to this point, the nation of Israel is still unclean. They claim to be my people, God says, but they disobeyed me for years and not rebuilding the temple. They make sacrifices to me on one hand, but on the other hand, they dishonor me. The people are in sin. They're unclean. Thus, anything they touch, including the very work of their hands and what they offer, their sacrifices, those things are unclean as well. This is a significant statement by God because what are the Israelites doing with their hands right now in our passage? They're rebuilding the temple. In fact, we know from the dates that Haggai records in this book that they're three months into this work at this point. I think we'd all agree that the task of rebuilding the temple was a good and holy work. They were doing a commendable thing. They were finally doing what God had commanded them to do, at least externally. But it seems as though God is interrupting the work here to say, hey, even though you're doing the right thing externally, there are still some things internally that aren't right in your heart. And we're not told here exactly what it is that's defiling the Israelites. We don't know what sin they've committed that has made them unclean in God's sight. We can only speculate as to that. Some commentators believe that God is referring to current sin in their lives. Other commentators think God's referring back to their initial disobedience to rebuild the temple. But whatever the case, here's the main takeaway for us. Here's what I want you to hear me say. It's possible to do the right things on the outside, to practice good works, but to do so with a heart that is far from God. And if our heart is far from God, the bottom line is that we're unclean. And if we're unclean, even the good works that we do in the name of God themselves are unclean. Romans 14 says, whatever is not of faith is sin. For the Israelites, their good work in this passage was rebuilding the temple. For you and I, it might be teaching a class or serving on a ministry team or giving of our tithes and offerings to the church. Those things are all good, but if there's unconfessed sin in your life, you can do all the good deeds you like and they'll still be considered unclean 
in the eyes of God. Perhaps King David expressed this truth best in the 51st Psalm when he prayed to God these words, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. In other words, before God wants our good works, he wants our heart. He wants our true worship and our obedience. Our prayer should really be twofold. Lord, give us clean hands and give us a pure heart. Fortunately for the Israelites, they do come to realize the folly of disobeying God on one hand and trying to please him with good works on the other. And as we'll see next time, God commends the Israelites for their obedience and promises to bless them going forward. And as we said last week, God is a loving father who looks for every excuse to bless his children. And that's what we'll talk about next Sunday. As we come to a time of response today, I do wonder if there's anyone here who would be willing to admit, look this way, I wonder if there's anyone here who would be willing to admit, I've been trying to obtain holiness by someone or something other than Jesus. I've been counting on riding my parents' coattails to heaven, or I've been counting on my involvement in the church, and now I see that holiness cannot be transferred that way. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus and to ask him to take my sin and transfer to me his holiness. If that speaks to where you're at this morning, I want to encourage you to do something here in just a moment. We're going to have a song of response. And if you realize you've been trusting in the wrong things for your holiness, and it's time to trust in Jesus, I want you to walk to the front of the room where I'll be standing and shake my hand and say, Josh, I'm ready to follow Jesus. I'm ready to be a Christian. And I would be more than happy to talk with you and pray with you about that decision. Perhaps there's a Christian here today who has unconfessed sin in your life. And that sin is not only hurting you, but it's transferring onto those you love. And it's hurting them as well. And most importantly, it's hurting your fellowship with God. Would you come today and make things right with him? Will you confess that sin and forsake it and recommit yourself to following Jesus? Maybe there's someone here today who's doing all the right things on the outside, but the inside of your heart is far, far from God. You can fool everyone else in this room, but you cannot fool him. You cannot fool God. Would you come today and make things right with him? God doesn't want our good works if he doesn't first have our heart. That's the most important thing. Whatever decision you need to make this morning, we're going to give you a time to do that. Let's stand at this time. I'm going to ask the musicians, if they would, to come to the platform. And we're going to have a song of response. And as I said, I'm just going to be standing here at the front of the room. If someone comes and prays with me, then Pastor Bill or Pastor Aragon will come up and be available to you to pray with. But if you need to do business with the Lord this morning, I pray that you'll do that.